0: This is Blue Wire. Welcome to another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. I am your host, former NFL and AFL defensive back Eric Crocker. And if you're not already following me on Twitter, go ahead follow me at Eric underscore Crocker. Um, follow the the podcast page at Press Cub Podcast, and uh, you know tons of great content, uh, wide receiver, defensive back stuff, daily, hourly. You know, breaking things down, different techniques, clips. Um, creating dialogue, all type of stuff that, you know, I just love um, just interacting with everyone, getting different ideas from everybody, constantly learning um, and and also get like suggestions. Hey, watch this guy, watch that guy. And, you know, I end up watching new guys and, you know, I start becoming a fan of new players. So follow the podcast, uh, Twitter account, follow my main account. I interact with a lot of guys on there. I think sometimes the player, the fans get a chance to interact with some of the players that follow me, like you know, like Antonio Camardi, uh like former players like Eric Davis, uh, Will Blackman. A lot of those guys interact a ton, you know, on my main Twitter account, and fans get to kind of interact with them too. So I think that's pretty cool. So yeah, if you aren't already follow those accounts, if you're not, subscribe to the podcast account on either iTunes. Uh, you know, Apple podcast or Spotify, go ahead, subscribe, rate and review on that. You know, and all, all those things go a long way and, and help the podcast and, you know, just help it continue to grow. So it's grown a lot in the first month. I really appreciate all the love. And yeah, I mean, I can, you know, I hope everybody just continues to check in as the season goes on. So right now it's a downtime. So I you know, I want to do something a little different. I want to talk about my story and just kind of give people an insight of just the grind and the hustle of making it to the NFL and, and trying to stay there, all right, and the different paths that people take, okay? So my situation, it was pretty unique, I I think. I think it was a very unique situation after, you know, being out of football for so long and still being able to make it to the highest level. And, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit. So growing up, you know, I grew up in Stockton, California, uh about thirty minutes south of Sacramento, if you're not familiar uh with this area. A very prideful city, uh, I would say. Uh, a smaller city in California, well, in terms of California, you know, outside of this it will probably be the biggest city in most states in a lot of states. But uh you know, I grew up in Stockton, uh tough, di- didn't have a lot of money, didn't have um a lot of stuff. I remember um I used to wear the same shirt uh, multiple days in a row. So I would wear it one day and then the next day I would just like flip it inside out so I could wear it the next day and people won't notice. Well, at least I thought people wouldn't notice. Um, so that, that, that just kind of gives a little insight of how I grew up, but tough. I always had a passion for football. I loved football, love football. Uh, I used to record games on my VHS and, you know, so I can rewatch them throughout the week. You know, I didn't have cable or anything like that. So, uh, Yeah. (laughs) However, I could watch football. I would watch football. Like that was how much I loved it. Loved my 49ers. I grew up playing football in the streets. I'm pretty sure, like a lot of you guys, Uh, my brother he was my inspiration. Uh, We were both very talented. Uh, So much so that a lot of people uh, that we played with in the neighborhood they wouldn't let us play on the same team. Now now he was four years older than me. So for me to be able to play with him and his friends, I, I had to be that much better. And you know, it kind of I think that made me like tougher. All right, so Stockton, there's a lot of people that come out of this area. Um, in the NFL right now, you have like, you know, the Tremaine Johnsons, Brandon Cooks, uh, Doug Martin went to St. Mary's, uh, you know, previously there was Julius Thomas. You can go all the way back. Larry Allen, he he went to the same high school that I went to for a little bit, also went to another high school in Stockton. Uh, go back further than that, there's Webster Slaughter. Uh, you know, I played against Lavelle Hawkins, one of the most talented guys that come out of this area. So... I mean, just tons and tons of guys that come out of this area and had, you know, legit NFL careers. Uh, so, you know, very prideful, very proud of the the, the people that come up out of here. Um, but there's a lot of gang violence and stuff like that. And I grew up in the All Crip neighborhood, and you know, those are those are my homies. So if you don't have a father in your life, kind of like like how I didn't, it's easy to take those guys in as as, as family. And you know, but. For me, I think the eye opening thing was seeing people get shot. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it looks like it hurts. I've seen people um, get shot, killed, stabbed. You know, all those type of things, and that kind of made me, you know, want to go in a different direction. Uh, you know, every day I lived, I lived about ten feet, ten steps away from a park, LaVerdi Park. Like I got it tatted on me and everything. Like you know, I love that park. I think it's a pivotal part. It play it played play a pivotal part. And, like, who I grew up to be, like, how tough I am. But there was a lot of bad that go that went on um, at that park. So, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. I learned a lot. And, you know, I think ultimately I wanted more for myself, but I didn't know how because I didn't have that type of um, positive influences around me. So, you know, I remember going, you know, freshman year, I've been longing for that father figure. I had a dad uh, when I was a freshman. I moved out with him to Fresno and— he ended up getting arrested, so I had to come back to Stockton anyways and finish out school here. But I, I struggled academically. And, you know, throughout my junior and senior years of high school, I only played 10 total varsity games because of grades. Couldn't get, below, couldn't get a 2.0. All right, so I struggled with that. And those struggles carried over to junior college. Same thing. I um, got there. I played well my freshman year. Uh, next thing you know, I couldn't get my grades right. I ended up having a child at the age of 19. So I dropped out of junior college. Once I dropped out of junior college, I just started working random jobs for like three years. Uh, Warehouse jobs, uh, Babies R Us, Toys R Us warehouse. Um, I had a security job for a while. I had a job at Target. I had a job at Walmart. I remember walking off Walmart at, you know, I'm going on my break and I'm like, man, I'm not doing this anymore. And I just left. So, um, I always knew that like football was for me, but you know I, I just couldn't figure out how to stay on that right path. And uh, basically, what happened was my 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 best friend, who's my brother, I call him my brother. And anytime you see me, you typically you know you'll see him near as well. Um, he we were uh, we were doing some bad things, and uh, he ended up getting arrested, and he went to jail for a couple of years. And, and and when he got out he basically said, man, E, you know, we got to get our lives together and we got to be playing football. So we decided to go to Modesto Junior College. And this was the first time in my life that I actually, like, was focused. You know, I don't know if it was a maturity thing or whatnot, but my thing was, you know, at least get an education for my son. So, you know, when he's growing up, I can tell him, like, hey, get an education because dad did too, you know. Um, So, you know, I had never been recruited ever. Never, ever. I was never the guy, never, not even on Pop Warner. Like, Pop Warner, I played one year, and I was like the third string running back, all right? So, I never was like that guy. High school, again, didn't have grades. So, um, Modesto Junior College, I, I had my back against the wall at one point because my grades were so bad from my freshman year at uh, Delta College that I had to get straight A's. And I focused up, you know, I worked hard. I asked teachers for help. And I actually ended up getting straight A's for the first time in my life. And that kind of let me know, like, man, like, if you really put your all into something, ask for help and do everything you can, like, really anything is possible. And I also learned that you get out of things what you put in. And I put in 110% during that time. And I got back 110%. I got all A's. Uh, I made the Dean's List. That was probably one of my proudest moments in my life. So um, that was a very... You know, great experience, and from there I started getting college interest. You know, I played well. Uh, you know, six one, six two corner. One hundred. I was like one hundred and ninety pounds at that time. Uh, you know, I got college interest, and all of a sudden I'm, <laughs> I get a scholarship, and, and I chose this University of Arkansas Monticello. A lot of people are like, man, what's that? Like, University of Ar- Arkansas Monticello is a Division two school. Um, obviously, it's in the southeast part of Arkansas, like right next to New Orleans. And um, the reason why I chose that school was because at the age of 21, I'm 21 years old now, I had never been out of California. so I didn't know what weather was like outside of California. I didn't know any of that. Right. So that's, that's the type of childhood that I grew up in. I didn't go anywhere. Um, first time stepping foot out of California was when I was 21 years old, flying to Arkansas, you know, because I was going on a scholarship. So I get there. And it's it's different. <laughs> Arkansas was different. I chose Arkansas because they had an indoor practice facility. And I figured, hey, man, worst case scenario, if the weather's bad, we will practice indoors. So that was one reason why I chose it. Another reason why was because they had this coach, Donald Dykes, who had played a few years in the NFL. Like Now, he was older. He played like in the early 80s. But um, I thought maybe that would be a good person for me to learn from because I— and to this point I had never learned like technique or anything like that when it came to playing defensive back position. All right. So um uh so I went there and it, it 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 was a transition for me because the junior college I went to, they let me play however I wanted to play. It's like, hey, if you wanna play like this, go ahead. If you wanna play like that, go ahead. Whatever you do and it works for you, do that. And I was successful at doing that. I was all conference in junior college. But when you're playing against better competition and in the Gulf South conference in D two We had the best of the best, you know, athletes, you know, all these dudes coming from um, Florida, New Orleans, you know, that uh, Louisiana, like that whole area, uh, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, you're getting all those type of athletes. And I had to be better with my technique. So I had a rocky junior year, a lot of ups and downs because I'm just now learning technique for the first time. And um, so going into my senior year, we had a whole new coaching staff. All right. So, I mean, pretty much by this time I'm going, I'm just kind of speeding through it, but I had, I went to junior, uh, Delta college in 2005. All right. I went to, I was out a few years. I went to M in MJC in 2009. So there's a big gap in between it. Oh five and then Oh nine. And then I went to UAM, uh, 2010 new coaching staff, uh, comes in for 2011 and I played there and there I learned what it meant to be a leader. My guy, Coach Scott, man, I love him forever. i I say it was three games in, I got benched, all right? Uh, three games in, I got benched. And, and I didn't think it was so much for my play on the field. I think I was playing well, but I think I was slacking off in practice. I wasn't practicing as hard. Um, you know, I was a senior, and there were other guys that were younger than me, and I – I think he needed to like light a fire under me and and he did you know I, I think it worked it, it taught me how to take accountability, it taught me how to you know never take my foot off the gas pedal um that was a big part of you know kind of who you know helped me like, get to the next level you know what I'm saying just that mindset of like you can't get relaxed, and I think I did I think I got relaxed my senior year and yeah, he benched me, and we saw something like that similar with the Forty ers and killer Witherspoon, right? Where a lot of people think it was his on play field. I mean, on field play. I don't think so. I think he had a bad game against the Lions, but after that, I, I didn't think that Killer Witherspoon was playing poorly at all. But sometimes there's things behind the scenes that you don't know. And I, like I said, I got benched. It just so happened that that next game, the guy that replaced me, my guy Best. Who I still communicate with, um, great photographer, by the way. Uh, so, uh, Best rolled his ankle in the first quarter. So, I had to come back in and I never looked back. Um, I played with my, like, my ass was on fire. I ended up being all conference. Um, I played extremely well. I ended up being the team captain after that big thing of me being bench- benched. And um, I finished the season strong. So at the end of the season, my cousin Tyrone Gross, he's also from Stockton, also played in the NFL, he played a couple years with the Chargers when it was like and Tomlinson, Michael Turner, Darren Sproles, and then it was Tyrone Gross, all right? Um, he blew his knee out their second year, like completely blew it out. I mean, torn ACL, MCL, PCL, dislocated kneecap, completely blew his knee out. Well, he somehow became the director of player personnel for an Arena League team. And this was the highest Arena League level. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, E, you know, I, I can't guarantee you make a spot on this team, but I can give you an opportunity. And for me, like, that was all I needed. Because you guys know, coming from D2, if you're not running a four three four four 3 or put up some crazy video game numbers coming from that level, you're not really getting a shot at the NFL. So I jumped straight to the Arena League. I didn't do my pro day. I didn't do any of that. I went straight to the league, uh, Arena League. I went home. I started training. Um, And reported for camp in February. Once camp started, I quickly realized, like, man, these guys are from bigger schools, D1s, guys coming from the NFL, CFL, all these different things. I was just like, okay, block all that out and just go hard. So I went hard, and I ended up starting every single game my rookie year, all 19 games. Um, The only other rookie to start any games on defense during that time was... My guy, Jerry Brown. And Jerry Brown, you guys might remember that name. He passed away in a car crash. He was playing defensive end for the Cowboys. And I think the defensive tackle he was with, his car flipped. He was drunk. His car flipped. And yeah, man, you know, my my, my buddy got trapped in the car. It burned. And, you know, RIP, Jerry Brown, man. But um, so I started every game. And when the season, uh, well, midway through the season, we had won a game. And after the game, we went to a little spot where it was like a little post-game thing, you know, meet the players type thing or whatever. And they gave us these drink coupons. So I had a couple of drinks. Um, Nothing major. I didn't think anything of it. Well, I went to drive, and my guy, Armad Lewis, another guy from Stockton, um, who actually right around that time ended up going to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Armad was like, hey, you need me to drive? And I'm like, no, I'm cool, man. I'll drive home or whatever. I didn't want anybody driving my car. So... I'm driving, we are speeding, it wasn't just me, there were a few other guys speeding, going about 80 miles an hour, and boop, got, I got blurped, that's what we call it, blurp, uh, the police pulled me over, and basically, even though I wasn't drunk, he did the test, the intoxication test, I passed all that, but because of something they were going through and cracking down on in San Antonio, they took me to jail anyways, so I blew like a point zero five, but... And so that's below the legal limit, but they still took me into jail. And I thought, man, that's going to end any chances of me doing anything. And I I highlight that moment because later down the line, it almost really ended, like, everything. It almost ended everything for me. So that situation happened. They put me on probation out there for a year where I couldn't even leave the county, even though I still did. But I wasn't supposed to leave the county of San Antonio. And um, I had to check in with a probation officer and all of that. So, um, fast forward, end of the season, I drive home when I wasn't supposed to, and I go to this UFL tryout. That was another league. So, th- this is the part of the of football and trying to play professional that a lot of people don't really see. Man, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of grind. There's a lot of going to this league, that league. So, I was trying out for the UFL, and, and I did my thing, man. I did my thing so much so that the coaches – pulled me to the side and said, hey, man, like, you know, what, what's your story? Who, you know, who are you? And I was like, well, I just came from the Arena League. We just finished our season up um, last week. And, you know, I actually just got in town yesterday and heard about the tryout. I came, I tried out. He was like, okay. So he was like, can you do punt returns? I was like, yeah, sure. So I caught punts afterwards. Um, I actually didn't make the team because they want guys with that NFL tag, and I didn't have that. But there was an agent there, and he recognized me. And he said, hey, man, you're Eric Crocker from San Antonio Talents. I'd like to represent you. Do you have an agent? I said, nope, I don't have an agent, but I definitely would uh, like to have one. So I signed on with him, and immediately him and I got to work, and I remember him calling me and saying, hey, man, you know, I'm putting your name out there for arena teams, and everybody wants to sign you. Like, what did you do? I was like, well, I had a good season, but I- I'm not trying to stay in the AFL. Like, I want to move up. Can-, can you get me to the CFL? And I remember his exact words was, man, you gotta you got to crawl before you walk. And I was thinking... Dude, I've I, I been crawling. Like, I, I just played and started all 19 games as a rookie in the NFL. So I didn't really like to hear that <laughs> that part. And he wasn't really bringing me anything that I couldn't do on my own at that time. Like, I can contact any Arena League team and, and get on at that time. So um, I remember uh, my cousin Tyrone saying, hey, you know, Devin Mays had an agent. You should talk to D. Mays' agent and see if he can help you. So I said, sure, I'll reach out to him. So I reached out to my guy, D. Mays' agent, and I remember the conversation like it was like it was yesterday. He said, hey, um, you know, hey, your cousin Tyrone, you know, he was like, Tyrone Gross told me you'd be calling. Uh, what's up, man, you, you know, do you have film or anything? And I was like, yeah, I got film, you know, type my name into Google and you can check out this little uh, film I put together, um, just a little cut up of my rookie year. He said, all right, Sure. So he's checking it out and I can hear him saying, hmm, hmm, oh, you know what? Hey, man, I think we got something here. Hey, I'm going to call you back. So I was like, cool, cool, sounds good. So mind you, I have an agent this whole time, but this guy is actually like helping me. So he texts me a little bit later and says, hey, man, uh, do you do you have... Uh, did you do your pro day? And I was like, no, I didn't do my pro day or anything like that. I just went straight to the reading league. He was like, all right. So now I didn't hear from him for about two more weeks. In between that time, I got a call from my probation officer. She was like, hey, um, where are you at? And I'm like, well, I'm in California. She said, well, you can't, you're not supposed to be there. I'm going to put out a warrant for your arrest. So as soon as I heard that, I packed up my car, hopped on the road, drove straight to San Antonio so I can start doing all the things I was supposed to do. So I had to do, certain amount of hours of community service. I had to do some classes. I had to pay a fine. I drove back to San Antonio and I did all of that. All right. Um, so as soon as I did that, um, I knocked it all out just in case, you know, I, I didn't know what, what was going to happen, but I, yeah, I had to make sure I got all that done. And in the meantime, this guy that's working for me, Dante, Dante Robinson, who was my guy, Devin Maze's agent. He said, Hey man, um, calgary and bc lions they want to fly you out to any workout that you want to go to those are cfl teams i said what they want to fly me out great like this other agent he said it's not possible but this guy is saying hey i can get you to the cfl you know they want to get numbers on you so i said great so um he said all right i'm gonna stay in contact with you and i'll let you know you know what the next move is so i'd say about three days later he called me again and said hey uh you know, if you are, if I am going to, you know, pursue this for you and help you, you have to sign with me and you have to fire the agent you're with. I said, cool, that's no issue. So at this time, I wasn't working out. I was working out. I mean, I was working at Macy's out in San Antonio for like 750 an hour, just doing some crazy stuff, man, and uh, really wasn't making any type of money. And um, so, you know, all this like kind of caught me off guard with, with these colleges. So I immediately started working out like that day. Okay, let me start working on my back pedal, working on my, you know, 40, whatever I can do on my own. So I started doing that and he said, okay, um, I'm going to sign you. I'm going to sign up with you, but you have to fire your other agent. I said, sure, I'll fire him. So I called my other agent. I sent him an email, fired him. All right, that was done. Signed with this new guy. And he said, okay, let's go to work. And I kid you guys not, Within two hours after I faxed over my paperwork of signing with this new agent, he called me and said, hey, man, um, the Miami Dolphins, they they really like you. They, they're they interested in bringing you in for a workout. I'm like, the Miami Dolphins? Like, you were just talking about CFL teams. Now you're talking about the NFL? Then he calls me back like an hour later. Hey, man, the Cowboys, the Jets, the Colts, and the Packers, they really like your film. They want to see you Put together a workout film, so I said, "Hell yeah, I'll put together that right now." So I put together a workout film. Um, you guys can actually all you guys can see all of this stuff on YouTube. I put together like a little workout film. It should be dated like 2013 because this was like January, February 2013. And sure enough, I, I sent him the film. The next day, he hit me and said, "Hey man, the." The New Orleans Saints, they're flying you in tomorrow for a workout. I'm like, the New Orleans Saints are flying me in for a workout. Now, this is January 2013. And anybody that knows me, they know I'm a 49er fan. So if you guessed it, uh, the 49ers were in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. So I get out there. I come in. I'm like, whoa, 49ers are here. I'm in the locker room. like, wow, it's Deshaun Goldson. Wow, there's Michael Crabtree. You know, I'm kind of starstruck because, you know, I'm coming from small school, little league. I'm still a big 49er fan. And, sure enough, man, um, I did my workout. There was another guy there who was kind of like the headliner of the workout. It was, his name was Chad Jones? Chad Jones? He was a safety from LSU, also played baseball. He was like a, a second or third round draft pick to New York Giants, and he crushed his leg in a car accident, his like, before he even got to play, and it ended his entire football career. Well, This is his first workout since, I guess, he was able to walk again and all that. So it was just me and him. And if you guys have ever seen NFL workouts, you guys probably haven't, it's, it's, it's you and, like, everybody from their front office, their coaches and everything, and they're just watching you. They're just watching you work out. It's very nerve-wracking. <laughs> all right. So I ran a 40-yard dash first. Didn't run a fast 40 time at all. I uh, ran a 471 actually. I had, you know, remember, I, I hadn't been working out or anything like that uh, for more than like three days. So um, I ran a slow 40 time, but the field drills was natural to me. So I killed the field drills. And I think if you were comparing me to Chad Jones, you you could see a huge difference in fluidity and things like that. I was able to move well, I had good feet. Um, so I killed that part of it. And they said, hey, you know, because you're 40 time, we can't offer you a contract right now, but. We can invite you to rookie minicamp. And to me, it was like, wow, like, that's an opportunity. I'm going to I'm gonna take that opportunity. So um, I got invited to rookie minicamp. I get home. I fly back to San Antonio, and my agent hits me and said, hey, you ran a slow 40 time, but they did like you. But um, the Philadelphia Eagles just called, and they want to fly you in next week. So fly home, work on your 40-yard dash start for a few days, and then the Eagles are going to fly you in. I said, cool. So as soon as I flew back to San Antonio – I packed up some clothes, hopped back on, on the road, drove to the airport, boom, hit straight to uh to California. I got to California, hit up this track coach named Sonny Larkins from Edison High School out here, and he worked with me, man, didn't charge me or anything, three days in a row, and all we worked on was my start for an hour each day, my 40-yard dash start. And by the end of it, it's like, okay, I feel ready, boom. The Eagles flew me out to us to uh philadelphia i get there i get there kind of late it's cold i had to try a philly cheesesteak <laughs> they, they actually give you like per diem money when you fly in for a workout they fly you in they put you up in the hotel they um they give you like 60 bucks to eat with like for uh dinner and breakfast and then they have some they have a driver come pick you up in the morning to take you to the, the facility so i get to the facility i you know i weigh in everything there's three other guys or two other guys there. there was a uh offensive lineman named Wang. I think he was like the first um, NFL Chinese player or something like that. Or I don't know. It was something like that. Um, so you had Wang, and then you had a linebacker. I don't remember his name. Well, the, um, well I ran my 40-yard. I warmed up. It was cold. First of all, it was cold. I ran my 40-yard dash, and then after that, they worked out the other guy. So they worked out one guy, and that was about 20, 25 minutes or so. Then they worked out the other guy 20, 25 minutes or so. So, damn near an hour has passed by, so now I'm cold. And now I have to start trying to warm up again to get my body ready to to work out. And this was even the more, most nerve-wracking uh, workout I have been in because, I mean, it was literally, I'd say, like 70 front office people from the, from the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, it, it was a ton of people. And they're just watching you, and they're picking every move. There were a few people I noticed. Ob- obviously, uh, Chip Kelly... Um, uh, Deuce Daly, that was somebody I grew up watching, I, I recognized him, but yeah, man, they just watch you, and watch how you move, um, I didn't do very well, I actually ran a better 40 time, I ran a 4.58, um, which was much improved over the 4.71, um, just a week prior, but yeah, I, I was too out of shape, my chest was burning, I remember I was trying to fight through it, but yeah, nah, it was tough, so boom, I failed that, I failed that workout, and so they flew me back, they I was ah, too out of shape, flew me back. Well, it seemed like like as soon as I landed, I landed back in San Antonio again. Another team called. And it was three teams this t- time. It was the New York Jets, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Green Bay Packers. And I had workouts lined up for them for the f- entire next week. Well, the first team to fly me in was the New York Jets. And they were going to fly me in right after the combine, which was um, two weeks from when I had worked out with the Eagles. So... I, I fly back home. I train hard. I work out. Um, I got in better shape. I worked on my 40 yard dash with Sonny again. He, he got me better. And I had to fly out to New York. All right. Now, I had this court date, and I couldn't remember what day it was, but I'm like, man, they want to fly me in on the 20, let's just say the 26th, because it was around that time. The 26th or 27th of February. Uh, what is around this time? I couldn't think of it, couldn't think of it. And boom, it hit me. I have court that day. So I had to figure something out real quick. Okay, do I miss my NFL workout because I have to go to court, and if I don't go, I'm pretty sure they're going to put a warrant out for my arrest, or do I tell the Jets about how I have court and risk them not letting me... Uh you know fly out or do a tryout or anything so I said you know what think of something E and I had to think fast and I said okay tell the Jets someone died and there's a funeral <laughs> funeral that morning and you can fly out later because they have my my flight scheduled for early so I let them know I said hey ah, someone died a friend in the family and you know I have to go to the funeral and can you guys push my flight back so they pushed it back um yeah I kind of Feel bad a little bit about it but yeah and nobody knows this story so you guys are the first ones hearing this um like this part of it so they pushed their flight back i had to go to court i had a punk ass uh probation officer who was not trying to let me go but by the graces of god the the judge said hey you did everything you are supposed to do you knocked out all this i think my lawyer was like a mob mob boss or something i don't know i don't know how he got me off of that so the the lawyer Um, got me off of a lot of different uh, little things that they were trying to do and made it so I can fly out to New York. So I had to jet back to the uh, airport. I barely made the flight, got on the flight, headed to New York. I land in, uh, well, not New York, New New Jersey, because that's where the jets are. They're in New Jersey. And, yeah, man, I spent that night at a hotel just praying, 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 praying. And I'm not, like, the most praying person, but... I said, man, this is this is the spot for me. This is the spot for me. So, that that morning, I woke up, uh, stretched, you know, got my, my muscles all warmed up. First thing I had to do was run a forty yard dash. Boom, I run a forty yard dash, four five three. Great. Okay, that's a good time for me. Okay, now I do my shuttle, short shuttle. Boom, got a good time in that. Now I'm doing drills, and the people that are doing my drills are. Uh, Coach Smith, who's actually a defensive coordinator now at Rice University, um, he was an assistant defensive back coach, who actually was the cornerback coach. And then there was Tim McDonald, who's an all-time Forty Nine er. We know him. Uh, he was on the Super Bowl team, I believe, with Deion Sanders and Merton Hanks and all those guys. He was wearing number forty six. His son is actually T.J. McDonald in the NFL now. And then uh, Dennis Thurman, who was like an all-time Cowboy great. So I'm getting, I'm going through this, and I'm still like. I'm in better shape, but not in amazing shape or anything like that. So I'm getting a little tired, but I'm fighting through it. I'm looking good, crisp in my drills and everything. And I remember the Coach Thurman saying, all right, man, we've seen enough. And I'm like, nah, 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 I got, I got more. I'm not leaving here without a contract. He said, nah, man, we've seen enough. That's it. Um, you know, go put your stuff back on. I said, man. I said, nah, I need I need more. I need more. Let me let me do more. He said, No, what you need to do is do some calf raises for them skinny ass ankles. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday him saying that. So it made me laugh. And I was like, Man, maybe they maybe they might like me a little bit. We'll we'll see. So they take us to the cafeteria and they're like, All right, you guys eat before you guys head out. I'm like, damn. I'm about to leave here without a contract. And um so we eat. And then a guy comes in, and there were a few of us. There were myself, this guy, Thomas Mayo, who I'm still cool with, a couple other people, and he said, uh, ooh, David Garrard. David uh, Garrard was there as well. So um, they said, okay, we're going to take you guys in for a physical. And I looked at one of the other guys. I'm like, hey, man, is that normal? Because they didn't do that in my last workouts. He said, oh, no, sometimes they just want to do that to – see, you know, where you are or whatever, just in case they want to bring you back in for a workout or, you know, whatnot. They kind of have you on file. And I was like, damn, okay. So I went, did this long old process of a a physical. I mean, it was a long physical, like three hours. I'm like, man, my flight was supposed to be for, you know, 7 p.m. or whatever. At the looks of it, I'm not going to get out at that time because of how long the physical was taking. So... I'd say about when the physical was almost done, my agent sent me a text message and said, hey, Croc, as long as you pass this physical, they're going to sign you. I said, I-, I couldn't believe it, man. I said, no way, man. No way. He said, yeah, as long as you pass this physical, they're going to sign you. So I, um, I went. I finished the physical. They tried not to pass me, I felt like. They tried to say I had a heart murmur or something like that. I definitely didn't. Um and they drove us back to the facility and I'm still thinking like nah cause they haven't said anything to me. They just told my agent this. So I'm just thinking like Nah, it's still not they're not gonna sign me. There it's gotta be a mistake or something. And they take us up to this room, you know, I see John Izik, I see some other guys. He he was the GM at the time. And it was just like, Wow, I think they are gonna sign me and this lady, I remember her black black lady curly hair, she came over she set the contract down in front of me, man. And I, I cried, like I cried like a baby, like just, you know, my life flashing back and just everything that I went through, the ups, the downs, the, um, you know, doing stuff I shouldn't have did, probably should have been dead or in jail. Um, you know, the, the, you know, having a kid at a young age not being able to really support him, just all these different things, um, being out of school for three years, all these things started flashing through my my mind, man, and I was just overwhelmed with emotion, man. And I I think, uh, you know, I wanted to tell somebody, but my phone had died, so I had to wait. And finally I got to the airport. I was able to plug my phone up, and I text my brother, hey, man, they signed me. And it was just like, man, like, and then my phone died again. So by the time I um I was able to charge my phone up, uh, it was I I mean I I I turned my phone on to like <laughs> hundreds of messages, hundreds of just people just telling me how proud of me they were and stuff like that and um man it was just an awesome feeling it was an awesome feeling. Now now making it to the NFL is one thing, staying in the NFL is a whole nother thing, and I mean it it was a revolving door like. Every day, people were getting cut. Every day, new people were coming in. Every day, you saw them trying out um, guys that possibly could take your spot. I mean, you you just – you never know. So, you know, I, I'm there. I'm basically an undrafted free agent, and I'm, I know I'm at the bottom of the totem pole, and there's guys there. As soon as I get there, there's Revis, there's Antonio Camardi, there's Kyle Wilson. Man, you know, I'm on the defense with these guys. There's Quentin Coples. uh who was a first round draft pick like a year or two uh, prior? There was Muhammad Wilkerson, like just all these guys, man. I'm like, wow, like this is kind of crazy. Tim Tebow. So that was the first time I had actually like got starstruck when Tim Tebow walked into the um, the he Tim Tebow walked into the locker room and he was like, hey, what's up, Croc? And it's just like I, I know he only knows my name because you can see it on my uh, locker, but it was just like, wow. Tim Tebow spoke to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Tim Tebow's like a rock star. Oh, and by the way, Tim Tebow, he they I think they make him out to be a little bit more churchish or whatever, like religious, um, than he like actually is. I think he really is, but I, he was just kinda one of the guys. Like I remember walking by and, and I just hear him like re- reciting like Lil Wayne rap lyrics. So I don't know if he was doing that just because maybe he just wanted to kind of be able to identify with me or like, oh so, you know, He's a hip dude. Let me recite some Lil Wayne rap lyrics so maybe he doesn't think that I'm super, you know, whatever the case is. Um, but he was a cool dude. He was, you know, I, I worked out with him a few times. Like He was like my partner in group uh, sessions during the OTAs and everything like that. So, yeah, Tim Tebow was kind of cool, but then, boom, he got cut. So he was gone. Um, Darrell Rivas was there, and then he got traded. So he's gone. And I'm like, damn, okay, this is a great opportunity for me now. There's no Rivas. Um you know, this is my time to be able to kind of take advantage of this. And I balled. I balled I ball throughout all of OTAs. Now, this is one thing that you guys don't really see too much. The guys at the bottom do not get many reps. You get, uh, the starters get about six reps, and then the backups get about six reps. And then the starters get about six reps, and then the backups, which is second string, they get about six reps. And then the third string gets reps. And you only get like three so you cannot mess up on those three reps. So I was pretty much perfect throughout all of OTAs. Um, obviously, there were little things I messed up on here and there, just mentally and stuff. But uh, I, 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 was, I was playing extremely well. I was on the right track of making the team, making the 53-man uh, or, you know, practice squad or whatever. Um, I was on the right track with all that. So finish out um, OTAs on a strong, on a high note. And heading into training camp, boom, I get hit with a bombshell. Um, I remember being out in, I was in New York. I actually spent the night in, um, in, uh, uh, what's it? Times Square. And I get a phone call from my mom at 8 a.m., which is 5 a.m. California time. So I'm like, why the hell is my mom calling me at 5 a.m.? She gets on the phone and she says, hey, Eric, um, I don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, damn, my grandpa died. And I said, Papa died. She said, no, your dad died. I'm like, what? My dad died. Like, what What do you mean my dad died? Like, you know, my dad's 48 years old. He was healthy. Like, what do you mean he died? She was like, yeah, he had like a heart attack. And I, I think I was just like in real like disbelief. And um, so I said, oh, OK. And I hung up and i'm the type of person where like i kind of deal with things like hey it is what it is if there's nothing you can do about it like i'm not really one to like worry too much about it and i was just like man okay my dad died all right so i head back um i ended up going back to you know new york we had practice in the morning or whatever this we're ending um otas and we had a meeting i couldn't focus throughout the whole meeting all i'm thinking about is my dad and um After the meeting, I told Tim McDonald, I said, hey, Coach McDonald, there's a chance I might have to leave. Um, My dad died yesterday, so, you know, I don't know what the funeral arrangements are or anything, but I might have to leave. And he he didn't, you could tell he didn't really know what to say. He was just like, wow, um, all right, Croc. you know, whatever you need. So I'm like, all right, thanks. So I go over, um, you know, I get ready. Um, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready for practice. I run out. And Tim McDonald called me. Hey, Croc, right? I see him, and he said, hey, "Come here, man." And I and I ran over to him, and he said, "Go home, man. The the team bought you a flight. They bought you a, a flight. Just let them know when you need to come back. Just go home." And I just bawled. Like I bawled my eyes out. That was the first time I showed any emotion about the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I gave him a hug, and they gave me someone to talk to, like a lady who helps, like, athletes deal with, like, crisis situations and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, they got my flight. I bawled my eyes out, man, and I flew home, dealt with my dad's funeral, flew back to Jersey, and it just wasn't never the same, man. Like, for the first time in my life, football wasn't important. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, which most of you guys do, at Eric underscore Crocker, you guys know football is, like, my life. It's my passion. Um Aside from my kids, is really the most important thing in my life. Like it trumps everything, and for a time there, football was not important to me. Like I just literally didn't care. Like I was at meetings, um, I wasn't focused. I, uh, you know, it, it really hurt me. So I, uh, you know, OTAs ended. I flew back home. I trained hard. I did train hard, but when I returned, I still mentally, I just wasn't there. I just wasn't there. So I'm going through the whole thing, you know, training camp, preseason, stuff like that. And I remember getting cut uh, for um, – there was two guys going into a game and they were hurt. It was Joe McKnight and – R.P. Joe McKnight and Brian Winters, who's actually still there. Brian Winters is still there. I think he's still a starter. Um, so they were hurt, and they need to sign guys. So they cut a couple of people. I was one of them um, so they can have enough players going to the next game and whatnot. And – I just remember not caring. I didn't care. Like, you guys heard this story. Like, you guys heard, you know, the crying when I signed the the contract and everything. And when I got released, I just didn't care. I was just ready to go home. And that was unlike me, man. And I I kind of, like, lost that drive. And it, it took a while to get it back. And I didn't get it back until I was sitting at home and I got a phone call from a buddy of mine, and he said, hey, Croc. I'm like, what's up, man? He said, hey, you were just the number one overall pick in the, in the arena draft. I, said, I was the number one overall pick in the arena draft. Like, what what arena draft? He said, yeah, man, look. And he sent me like the little thing, and it was sure enough, it was, hey, with the first pick, the Portland Thunder select, Eric Crocker. And it wasn't until that where, boom, I snapped out of that fog I was in. I got to grinding, um, going after it. I, I got that passion back. I got that bounce back in my step. And, um, I ended up having a great year in the League. Um, eleven interceptions that year. I balled out. I kept thinking I was gonna go back to the NFL, but um it's weird how the NFL goes, man. I mean, is there's a lot of luck involved. You know, when you're when you're playing at different um, you know, in different leagues or whether it's the AFL, whether it's the CFL, there's a lot of luck involved in getting back to the NFL, man. But yeah, man, uh I never got the opportunity again. I continued to play football and now um, you know, I train athletes. Uh, I have a ton of fun with that. And I and I try to teach these kids, you know, the, the things that I wasn't taught, you know, hey, you can make it. Nobody ever told me that. You know, and I tell these kids now, like, you can make it. You can get a scholarship. Um, you know, you can get a scholarship and play football. It, it's all about, you know, the position that you put yourself in. And a lot of times we start off putting ourselves behind the eight ball, especially when you grow up like I grew up. So that that's my story, man. Uh, from you know all the things that I went through, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but all of it's one hundred percent facts, man. And um, there were some things that I saw, man. Like when I was in the NFL, and I, I think I kind of look at the league a little bit different than maybe a lot of other people that follow me on Twitter. I think we look at these guys as super, like, hum, like just oh my gosh, just. This guy, oh, my gosh, it's that guy. When in reality, on the NFL roster, I'll say this. There are a few freaks on each team. All right? There are about, you know, there's there's only so many, like, like a Aaron Donald, a Sue, and then maybe you'll have another. I'd say on, on each side of the ball, you have about three freaks, two to three freaks on each side of the ball. Outside of that, there's really no separation between The second, there's not much separation between the second best corner on your team and the fifth best corner on your team. There's not a lot of different. A lot of the times what separates them is where were they drafted, how they, you know, get there. So there's a little bit of politics involved. You know, um, I remember um, Dee Milliner, he was drafted number nine overall when I was with the Jets. And from the first day that he reported, he he was hurt for a little while and then he held out, and then he finally came to training camp and boom, he's running with the ones immediately. All these other guys have been there throughout OTAs, all this training, training camp, everything. And the first day that he's able to get on the field, he's running with the ones. So that kind of just lets you know how, you know, there are there is a little there are a little bit of political uh, things with it. And D. Miller didn't have a long career. What did he played, two years? three years maybe, and we've never heard from him since. Um, And D. Miller was cool. Like, that was my guy. But I'm just saying, he was pegged the number one guy as soon as he um, was healthy, and he flamed out quick. I felt like there were people better than him. And those guys had to take a back seat just because of where this guy was drafted. So there's a lot that has to do with politics. There's not a lot of separation between the second or third best receiver, and that practice squad receiver. It's all about opportunity. So that's my story, man. Um, I appreciate you guys for listening. I know it's kind of a long one. Um, You know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring on more guys to kind of tell their story. So I'd say every seven or so or eight or so episodes, I'll bring on a guy that I know um, or even guys that I don't know And they can tell their story and their experiences because, you know, these NFL players, man, they are humans. And I think sometimes as fans, even myself, we kind of hold these guys on a higher pedestal. But really, they're just like you and I. So, yep, that's my story. Want more great NFL content? This is Kyle Madsen, co-host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Check out my podcast and other NFL podcasts on the network by searching Blue Wire and iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. All right, first question for uh, my mailbag segment is from Ferocious Gentleman. Zeke, what up? Um, he said, who are your, who are some of your favorite under-the-radar cornerbacks in the league uh, that don't get much publicity? He said, I'm a huge fan of Pierre this, this year. All right, uh, I, I guess a guy that I really like, I probably shouldn't like him because I'm not a Cowboy fan, but Cheeto Awuzie, I really like the way he plays. And I think last year he kind of was up and down. But I think he makes things like hard for receivers, everything's contested. He plays fast, he plays physical. There's a lot to his game that I like. I feel like he's transitioned to a pure outside corner very well. Uh, Cheeto, that's one guy that I really like. That I think people don't really talk about. They all talk about Byron Jones, who had a great year last season, but Cheeto is probably one that I think I really like. I think it's kind of, I don't, I don't know if I would say, yeah, yeah, I'd say under the radar. He's not talked about. So Cheeto was at the Dallas Cowboys. All right, my guy Alex Chan right here. Thoughts on Manny uh, Mosley. So he's talking about Emmanuel Mosley of the 49ers. I really like Emmanuel Mosley. I, I kind of have him as a dark horse for making the 49ers roster. You know, everybody talks about all these the other corners. But Emmanuel Mosley, I liked him over uh, Tavares Tavarius McFadden. Last year, people were like, Tavares McFadden, he's going to make team Florida State. He had eight interceptions. I didn't think that he was all that good. But I liked Emmanuel Mosley. I liked the way he moved. I pegged him to make the uh, – the practice squad last year, and this year I'm pegging uh, Emmanuel Mosley to make the 53-man roster. So that's my, I guess, hot take or dark horse. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Here we go. My guy from uh, Far far Side of Sports, he said, so what are your thoughts on Patrick Peterson's PD, PED film? I feel like a lot of NFL guys get passes while guys in sports like Major League Baseball and MMA get destroyed. What do you think? I think it's kind of easy for a guy to fail because you take supplements and they change like the ban list all the time. So there's supplements that he's been taking and maybe he didn't know. Actually, he didn't know because he tried to mask it and that's why he got two more games. Yep. I can't defend Patrick Peterson uh, is terrible. It's cheating. I mean, does it give you that much of an edge? I, I don't know. I mean, j- just work out, take care of your body. He is kind of on the downside of his career, I guess you, you could say um, he's not in his prime anymore. So, uh, maybe he felt like he needed to get an advantage on some of the younger guys. Not good. That's all I can say about that. D.J.'s top ranking. All right, he said, uh, why are people sleeping on Jalen Hurd? Am I crazy to think he's a 1,000-yard receiver? I would pump the brakes on that. All right, Jalen Hurd has only played receiver for a year. I really like him. I really like his movement skills. I, I think that there are a lot of areas that he can improve on. I do think that he has a really good skill set that matches with what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And... There's a lot to like about Jalen Hurd, but saying he could be a thousand yard receiver, I mean, when are you talking about this year or next year? Are you just saying down the line in general? Um, I don't like to put caps on people. I don't like to put ceilings on people. So I'll never tell you what Jalen Hurd can or can't be. Or I'll say what I think. And I do think that he can be a very good, productive receiver. He just needs it all to come together and to learn how to be more consistent and be more physical at the catch point as far as, like, 50-50 balls, which it may come. He's been playing running back, and, you know, catching the ball at like a receiver, that's a lot different than catching the ball as a running back. And he, he's been putting, you know, from everything I understand, catching a ton of extra balls. His film was very impressive as, you know, someone that hadn't been playing receiver for a lot. I thought he was very good and even more refined uh, as a route runner than a lot of other guys coming out. So I I really like Jalen Hurd. Uh, I don't want to say 1,000-yard receiver, but, you know, we'll see. I think he's talented. All right, here we go. Ellert Nick. All right, probably Nick Ellert. Here we go. Is former Niner John Taylor underrated? I feel Debo is going to be a mix of Pierre Garçon and John Taylor. John Taylor, I mean, he's... I remember John Taylor a little bit before my time as far as, like, really, truly understanding what he was. and But I know he was a speedster, and I don't think that Debo is that. I, I think Debo is fast enough. I think he does have decent uh, breakaway speed. I don't think that his breakaway speed is anything that's like a like a Odell Beckham. Um, I, I don't think it's like that. I think he just has good enough speed to where, you know, he, he can't run away from some people, so I wouldn't so much say John Taylor. But I think um, Pierre Garçon's a good—I think that's a good comp. You see that thrown a lot around a lot. One of those physical receivers like a—you uh, know, yeah, Pierre Garçon, um, DJ Moore that came out last year. I think their games are very—I yeah, I get reminded of uh, Debo Samuel when I see uh, DJ Reed—I mean, DJ uh, Moore. A guy I would like to see him play a little bit more like and add some of the things to this game like this guy— is Devontae Adams. I was just watching him and Devontae Adams isn't a bla- blazer, but he understands all the little intricate things of route running that help him create more space and get open. And he's just a guy you just get the ball in his hand and he makes plays and scores touchdowns. So if I if I had in my head like who I want who I want uh Debo Samuel to play like, I would say Devontae Adams. Alright. Was Richard Sherman really that good last season or was Spoon that bad that no one had to throw as Sherman on uh, reputation alone, and because he didn't have to. Uh, maybe I read that question wrong, but I get what you're saying. Okay, so Richard Sherman, I, I think he's still solid. I don't. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see Seattle Seahawks Richard Sherman, but it could be because he was coming off an injury. So I did think that he was a step slow. I was really surprised that teams didn't attack him more. I think teams teams did go at Witherspoon or whoever was, was over there, but I thought that teams more than anything, attacked the scheme well. They attacked the scheme very well. And the 49ers had a lot of coverage drops between uh safeties and different things like that. I thought that that was more the issue than um any corner on the outside outside of Greg Mabin getting beat by the uh the Packers. I thought that was the one time where I was like, damn or or uh with a against the Lions. With a against the Lions, Greg Mabin against the Packers. Outside of that, I didn't think that the corners were ever Really, that big of an issue. I thought more, uh, you know, teams just attacking the scheme and safeties um, not being where they're supposed to be. I thought that was a huge issue. Uh, Henry, Henry here said, "You see, you see Sherman switching positions to safety in 2020." You know what? I, I've heard him say that, and this is my thinking on Richard Sherman. I think if I were to switch him to a safety. It would be more of a strong safety type position. Um, he's a very physical, aggressive tackler. Um, if you remember back to the uh, the game against the Giants, he had no problems tackling uh, Saquon Barkley in the open field. I think he's an amazing tackler. Actually, very aggressive. Uh, you know, in that area, he can use his brain more and not have to use as much as much like pure athleticism to like run down the sideline with receivers. He wouldn't be asked to do those type of things, uh, but he can still cover. You know, big tight ends, big slots, things like that. And, um, you know, kind of be able to play in space. I like that a lot more than having him as a middle free safety where he has to run sideline to sideline. And he was never really a fast guy like that to begin with. And he's probably a little bit slower now. Do you want him as a single high safety? I wouldn't really want that. But in the box, I mean, he's 6'3", around 200 pounds. I think that I have no, I have no issues with him playing that position and being able to be an impact player as strong safety. So that's why I would have him more in the box. All right. Uh, let's see. Rank the NFC West teams, two thousand nineteen, wide receiver and defensive back groups one through four. Hmm. Well, you have to go with the Rams uh, at one, and I think that you know, even with Cooper Cup coming back, you know, off of injury, I still think that you have to have them number one with Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. So the Rams are one at two. I would say. Hmm. I want to go with the Niners, but I feel like we're just a little unproven. I think that there's talent there. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals just off of strength. I think that Christian Kirk had a decent season. You still have Larry Fitzgerald. And then you added Andy Isabella and and, uh, Hakeem Butler. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals at number two. So I got the Rams at one, Cardinals at two, 49ers at three, because the the Seahawks lost – they lost uh, uh, They lost their guy, um, gosh, why am I drawing a blank? Number 89. You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. Sometimes I, I think it's too many hits to the head or whatever. Uh, I can see his face right now, number 89, light-skinned. Uh, anyways, bald head. So, yeah, they lost him. He retired. Why can't I think of his name right now? That's crazy. They lost him. He retired. So... Um, you know, you have Lockett, who I like. I really like DK Metcalf, but I kind of like a combination of what the 49ers have a little bit more than than that, and, you know, with the offensive with Kyle Shanahan. So I'm going to go the Niners at three, and then the Seahawks at four. All right, and uh, who is your favorite wide receiver in the NFL on any team? All right, easily, hands down, that is Odell Beckham. Anybody that's been following me know I love Odell Beckham. I think he's extremely talented. Um, I love everything about him. How he, you know his dancing, his just the passion that he plays with. I think he gets a bad rap for being a bad teammate. I don't think that's the case. I think that he just maybe doesn't channel his emotion very well sometimes. But he's extremely fiery. Uh, everything I hear is that he's a great teammate, hard worker, and what else do you want? He's super dynamic. He Can catch a slant and take it 80 yards on any given play. Odell Beckham. That's my favorite player to watch. Um. yeah, I love watching Odell Beckham. That's the one guy where, I mean, I love football, and I'll go home and watch any game, but I make sure that I have nothing to do when Odell Beckham is going to play. And I actually took my son to go watch him play on Monday Night Football against the 49ers last year. So, Odell Beckham. All right, and then the second part to his question was, and then who do you think is the Niners' number one receiver uh, this year? And do we go wide receiver again in the early in the 2000s Twenty draft uh, with this being such a good group next year. No. Honestly, the second part to that, they don't draft a receiver again. Um, you have you have Pettis. You have Debo Samuel. You have Jalen Hurd. Um, you have young guys that you have that are talented, and you develop them. Um, you continue to watch them get better. Unless somebody just can't play 100%, just can't play. Like maybe Hurd just, well, he's 100% not a receiver. And then in that sense, maybe you – draft receiver, but I, I don't see them taking a receiver next year, uh, not, at least high, not, I don't see that, and because they got some good guys, man, Jerry Judy who guys dynamic, uh, you talk about Odell Beckham type ability Jerry Judy has that, alright so, um, yeah man, that's gonna do it for today, thank you uh, for listening in, I know it's a long episode, uh, thank you for the questions, the mailbox questions uh, mailbag uh, segment questions uh, check in next week, again, next Tuesday uh, same time, by the time you guys wake up, it'll be loaded up. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review. Um, I'm getting a ton of listens, but I'm not getting a lot of reviews, so make sure you guys hit that five-star mark, all right? And I'll check back in with you guys right here on the Press Coverage Podcast.